You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. Getting a little bit of background on myself and, you know, I worked with the Colorado State University. I studied natural resource management and spatial information systems um, and spatial information systems. And in that context was really all about like the digitization of the environment, um, you know, how we could use digital tools to transform um, how we manage ecosystems and the environment as it relates to climate change, sustainability, uh, forest management, um, natural resource management, et cetera. And, um, you know, and, and with that, uh, you know, stepped out into the job market and saw that, you know, one of the areas where, you know, the, biggest demand for that type of education was really at that intersection of infrastructure development and, 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 and conservation. And I got a job as a consultant working with one of the nation's largest land reclamation companies and uh, really neat company uh, that, you know, really built its brand on how they can go in after a major project and restore that landscape to its pre-existing state. Um, so, you know, a pipeline gets built, they come in after the fact and make it look like there was no pipeline there uh, to begin with. And um, came on with those guys to help out with some mapping products and, and helping them kind of digitize and understand more of the project scope that they were gonna be stepping into. And, uh, and then in 2015, the commercial drone craze hit and you know and, and coming from my background with spatial information systems this was exciting um because now we had this ability to um you know go to best buy get a 1500 drone and go out and with a couple of pushes on the smartphone get a rich three-dimensional map um back of of a site you know like a like a high fidelity google earth if you will and um and then from there could start applying some of the data science that we were using in school with really coarse grained satellite imagery to start to help understand what the environmental conditions were like in and around oil and gas facilities and uh not too long after doing some successful pilot projects with the parent company, um, you know, we we got a call from one of the superintendents who was out in the in Appalachia in the Marcellus Utica region. And I'm driving home from the airport. I just spent the week in Houston and I get this grainy FaceTime from one of the field superintendents. And he's like, what can your drone do to help identify these? You know, and it's this, this, you know, having a hard time even making it out. And it and it was a what it was was a was a landslide uh on a pipeline corridor and I'm you know I'm like well you know like I mean how many of these things could there possibly be like is this just kind of a one-off situation and and he's like if you think there's any potential here he's like you need to turn your car around right now get on a plane and fly out to Pittsburgh and meet me and and see what I'm looking at and uh so I called my wife let her know um I'm headed out uh, again turned around went back to Denver International Airport hopped a flight to Pittsburgh and pulled into this dreary equipment yard uh, in uh, uh, Claysville, Pennsylvania, right off the I-70 corridor and uh, met up with these, you know, uh, Louisiana pipeliners. And, and, uh, and they're like, yeah, we're going to we're going to take you out in the field. And, um, and I'm like, all right, like, let's, you know, let's go see what you guys are looking at. And literally like the next 
week we spent driving around and you know i was putting the drone up and just capturing data because this this landslide issue was everywhere i mean these landslides littered the landscape uh got a chance to talk to some of the pipeline operators in the region and these guys are like i you can talk to my wife i don't sleep when i hear rain on the roof um you know because i know that that means wow. there's land movement and mm -hmm. there's a potential for a pipeline failure and uh and so that really uncovered what was a really, really cool opportunity, I thought, and, you know, started to take a lot of these initial data sets and process them. And again, hanging out with these Louisiana pipeliners, going to some, you know, uh, blue collar bars in the evenings, writing Python to look at hydrology conditions and start trying to extract out, you know, soil information and other conditions that might be driving land movement and putting together kind of an initial cut of, of you know, skunk worksing, what could be like a, a pretty cool solution to help these companies wrap their heads around this problem. And, you know, from there, we got the meeting with, with the operators, showed them some of the initial evidence that, that you know, this technology could be really effective in, in helping them identify, manage, and measure uh, these changes changes through time and, and address some of these major problems on their pipeline infrastructure. And that snowballed into, this is great. We have thousands of miles of pipeline in this region and hundreds of thousands of miles of pipeline throughout the United States. What can you do to get us data across all of those systems, you know, in a time frame that's going to allow us to make critical, you know, uh, operations decisions and, uh, you know, prevent catastrophe. And that was really the, 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 the first real opportunity that, that, you know, got this whole vision started. And then of course it's, it's metamorphosized from there. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool story. I, I love the beginnings of that and how that evolved. It, when you think back about that, that week, uh, where you get called and, you know, basically summoned to this pipeline, this landslide, what, what do you think that they hope that you would be able to tell them or like reveal to them? Cause obviously your skill set and theirs were miles apart. Like it, what did they think that you were going to able to show them? Like, what did you think they were hoping for? So, you know, from the contractor perspective, they were really interested in a very site specific analysis of a landslide. They were like, you know, cause oftentimes the, the number one driver of, of land movement is hydrology. And, you know, and so one of those uh, algorithms that I wrote in the, in the uh, Quaker Steak and Lube, and that's the name of the bar that we were at, um, wrote that Python hydrology model. And that was to get like a really high resolution look at overland flow to figure out, you know, is this pipeline right of way dewatering, um, you know, that hydrology effectively enough where it's not saturating that hill slope and causing that, that uh, you know, that hill slope to fail. And, and so what they were really interested in was, could I help them kind of spec out, um, you know, what repairs might need to be made to help mitigate, you know, any, you know, not only just to fix the slide, but then to prevent um, that hill slope from failing again. And that was really their focus. And of course that turned into, there's hundreds of thousands of these across the landscape. And um, how can you do that on every single one of them at scale? So if I can try to put it in my simplistic understanding, it is we've changed the environment um, and now the, the environment's not working with us and cooperating. It's doing things that we don't understand or control, but there are uh, there's a way to kind of analyze what it is. There's a way to sort of 
spec out a way to sort of repair this and put it back in a more sort of natural or harmonious state. And we can use data collection and uh, some sophisticated math to do that. And we're very motivated to do this because we need things to get back to where it works for everybody, right? And, and, and now you've, and they knew that maybe that you could help unlock that, you did unlock that. And now you just see use cases all over the place uh, with pipeline and beyond in multiple places where it's like, how does, how do we interact with the environment in a way where it's, uh, it's beneficial on, on all sides? Is that pretty close? It's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's really, that vision has turned into more of this concept of, of the environmental twin, this like living digital environmental twin, three-dimensional twin of the environment that then helps, you know, an asset owner understand the discrete threats that could potentially impact or cause damage to their assets or understand the impact that their assets or their operational activities might have on the environment. So there's kind of a compliance dimension to it, as well as, a, a, you know, safety and, and risk management component. Yeah. So how, how do you now, um, when you're talking with people about your firm, how do you, how do you approach it? How do you, how do you kind of explain it? What's your elevator kind of spiel when someone's like, Hey, tell me what you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, we, we typically like to talk about it as, you know, we're the industry leader in environmental twinning technology and, you know, and that we use the most contemporary data science and AI to help interpret and predict how things are changing on the landscape. Um, you know, especially in light of, of climate change and, and helping companies become more resilient to, to climate related events. Yeah. And you work for a number of industries, but which ones were most receptive um, or maybe had the sharpest pain points um, to where they were just very on board at the beginning um, of turn? Yeah. So, so, you know, cut our teeth in that, that oil and gas pipeline space um, just because the, you know, the probability of failure times the consequence of failure. When you talk to a risk engineer, like that's how they look at it is, you know, okay, if, if there's going to be an issue, um, how severe is that issue going to be and how likely is that to happen? Um, and so you can imagine when you're, you know, uh, you know, transporting, uh, you know, thousands of cubic feet of, of, of hydrocarbons per day, um, you know, anything that could happen that could potentially cause a release or spill, particularly given kind of the social license and the scrutiny that oil and gas is already under, um, that's a lot of pain. And, and there's a lot of meat on the bone uh, with that value proposition. They're one of the industries with the most assets that are most exposed to these types of, of risks and threats. So from that perspective, um, certainly that industry, or that messaging has resonated with really well. Now, what's fascinating is just in the last five years, we've seen a major uptick in renewable project development. And that's very much kind of the Wild West. And, and I'd almost liken it to, you know, the onshore oil and the early onshore oil and gas development days where, you know, companies are getting capital to go develop these projects and they're getting a lot of incentives. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a huge growth market. It's a great opportunity, but they're just now starting to learn after doing this for a decade, 
what those threats are and how those those issues can creep up. So while, you know, five years ago, a renewable developer maybe wouldn't have seen as much of a need for what the type of information we're providing. Now we're seeing companies that are struggling to get financing um, because they can't get insured um, to build these projects because these the companies that have historic, you know, insured the previous, you know, uh, five projects have um, ended up with catastrophic losses from hail, washouts, um, and and other significant weather-related events. And so we're seeing more diligence being done up front on a lot of these new renewable development sites, as well as a, a uptick in having more technology and information that can help them uh, monitor those assets uh, through time to help you know mitigate some of those those destructive events. That's interesting. It's just, it sounds like just a maturing of the industry where we've kind of learned the hard way and now we know what questions to ask and what risk is really at play. Are, are you is your technology it, I'm assuming it's relevant on both sides of that equation for not only the, the developers but also for the insurers. Is it used by both uh, currently, or is it typically used by the the group seeking insurance, or is it used by both? What do you think? So the strongest use case that we have found thus far is with the groups that are seeking to get insurance. Um, that you know their brokers can really grab onto this and say, "Hey, look." Our customer is, you know, they're best in class. This is the process that they're implementing. This is how they look at their resilience and, and you know, are working to protect their assets. And they are able to then take that to the insurer and present those that information, which is quantified, measured, and, and use that to renegotiate premiums. Yeah. So I'm assuming that typically when you're talking with somebody who's a potential fit uh, for the technology, probably the word risk is being brought up quite a bit. Um, and also, I mean, because with that, it's just how do we prevent, like you said, sometimes what's catastrophic uh, losses or changes or, or whatever. Um, whenever you're talking with somebody outside of the industry um, who may not understand or comprehend like the risk aspect of it, how does your language change? How do you talk about the company then? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it in a sense of, you know, we're all becoming alarmingly accustomed to waking up every morning, opening our phones and seeing some sort of new unprecedented flood or wildfire or hurricane type of event. So that's something that I think everybody can relate with. And it oftentimes feels kind of helpless, right? Like we, we, we sit here and we're like, man, like, you know, climate change, we really need to do something about this. It's, it's getting out of control. We're spending trillions of dollars a year in, in taxpayer dollars to help mitigate, um, you know, the damages from events like this. And, and the way I would break that down for somebody who maybe doesn't know the industry as well is that what this technology is aimed at doing is helping, you know, you know, because I guess to, to back up for a second, you know, in parallel to opening your phone and seeing things about, you know, climate related natural disasters, we're also reading about this renaissance in artificial intelligence and big data and cloud computing technologies. And so what we're really doing is we're taking advantage of the most contemporary technologies that we have available to us right now um, to help apply to help solve that problem and make things more resilient to those those events. And um, and and what's really exciting about this, Justin, is 
you know, we're working with people, we're working at, you know, kind of the state and federal level now talking about how we can provide, you know, real-time information to help manage wildfire response, um, you know, fuel treatment initiatives in on the Western, you know, and over massive landscapes in the Western United States and looking at, you know, different weather and flood related scenarios and what the potential impacts of their of those are so we can give hyper localized and, and it's not that these types of models haven't existed before but we can get down to the property level to that like you know centimeter um you know that that that, that sub meter level um to to identify exactly where issues are going to occur so that if you're going to do anything to try to mitigate or fortify your assets from those types of of natural catastrophes you know exactly where to go do that and that's what's really changed with this technology You've tapped onto something that has been a theme throughout all these conversations we've had on this podcast, which is climate change is one of the biggest waves of change that uh, we've ever seen that we're in, and we're going through it right now. And people in some cases are very nervous and fearful for good reason. It's the same with, with uh, AI. It is this huge wave of change, just exponential jump. And there are people who are excited about it, uh, but there's probably more who are fearful of it. And what we've um, been able to discuss on here and we're discussing right now is AI can be that tool that helps us with this thing that's so huge and daunting, right? Like we can make this work for us and we can do things that we never could do before and we can have insights and 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 know the action uh, based on a tool like that. And it sounds like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a group of people who uh, are aware of this and who are creating things and know how to digest and make decisions on it. There's also people at the ground level who have no awareness of this data, how it's being collected and all that type of thing, but they see it at the ground level and what it can do for them differently. Like you talk, a you talk about the person who says, I get nervous. I can't sleep when it rains because of the landslides. Right. So yeah. uh, I think that's pretty interesting that you're doing something that is so in some cases like kind of wonky but it's taken it all the way down to the ground level to people and they see the benefit of it and that's honestly justin i think that's the piece that fills my cup the most is that you know we talk about these different tiers of users and that first tier users like you know they're like me they're they understand geospatial technologies they're you know they have their head wrapped around this and they're just easy to communicate to they have high literacy and easy uptake of of what that value proposition is and, and what we're doing um but we talk about a third tier user right and that third tier user somebody that has almost no literacy, has no really foundational understanding of the technology or really what the nuts and bolts of what goes into it, but yet is still able to use and extract a lot of value from the technology. And that scenario, it's like the fact that we have like, you know, steel to high school educated, you know, hardworking, you know, people out there with steel toe boots on and hard hats that are like, you know, beating our door down to get the next refresh of that data set. It's just so cool, right? To be able to show that kind of, you know, fingers in the dirt, um, net tangible impact that the, that the technology has, you know, in a world where data is just, we're getting hit over the head with it every single day um, to see that sort of net tangible result from it to me is like, that's, that's why we're in business and that's what motivates us. And I think that maybe even separates us a bit from your typical, you know, VC backed, you know, tech startup where, you know, it's a more, if you build it, they will come, you know, type of philosophy. This is like, you know, 
we knew this was a problem because we had steel toe boots on and we were standing there on the ground observing these issues and then built the technology that could solve it. Yeah, that's cool. And you're talking about the digital twin uh, of this, but I mean, I think sometimes it's helpful to make the pain point is so clear to see. You can walk right up to it and in some cases see it and put hands on it. Uh, you don't have, it's not an abstract thing. I mean, the solution may be a little abstract and complicated to understand for some people, but the problem, the pain point is there. And the fact that this can help solve for that, it makes it very real, very quickly. I feel like. And, and what's neat on that point, Justin is, is in geospatial right now, like it's, there's this huge movement from 2d to 3d, like the, the, the world is moving toward three-dimensional spatial information systems. And what that's done is it, it, it has created that, that kind of lay user effect that, you know, before, like, if you look at a two-dimensional map of hydrology, it's not going to do much for anybody who doesn't understand the technology or the software that they're using. Now I can show you a rich, almost lifelike three-dimensional map and then show you how the water is going to flow down or a debris flow after a wildfire is going to come down and take out your neighbor's house, but it's not going to take out your house. And that's why FEMA is giving them money and not you. And it's like, you know, where normally you might feel like slighted, you know, like why, why is the government giving money to my neighbor and not me? It's like, you can look at that. You can see the mechanics of the, of the hill slope and everything in an almost like augmented reality sense. And, and it just clicks. And, and that is what I think is going to change so much in this industry over the next, you know, decade and, uh, and, and what we're excited to be a part of. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. You're, you're saying that, you know, before it took a trained eye, you had to know what you're looking at. Now it's like, it's getting so rich in detail. It's like an untrained eye can figure out what this is. Yeah. And this, you know, we did this Hermit's Peak um, uh, uh, fire opportunity last summer with the USDA NRCS. And it was really a first of its kind. It was the largest fire in New Mexico state history. It was a controlled burn that the Forest Service had started and it got out of control, burned something like 500,000 acres. And they called us to say, hey, we want to leverage this technology to help figure out, you know, where we need to allocate dollars to go mitigate uh, the fallout, you know, that comes after wildfire, which is debris flow, flood and sedimentation. And, um, you know, and, and of course, you can imagine, like, I think there were 60 percent of the land that burned was private property and private ranch lands. So, um, you know, you have a situation where the government's responsible for starting the fire that caused a ton of damage to to private property and landowners are, are you know, they're, they're seeking some sort of, of retribution for that. And um, and so you know, in, in it's extremely contentious, you know, in, in that whole thing. And, and so a big challenge the agency had was communicating because they still have a finite budget. They can't give everybody all the, all the money that, that they need. And so they have a finite budget that they need to allocate out, but they need to be able to communicate that like with precision to that audience so that, you know, there isn't a, a whole lot of social political unrest. And so we kind of got involved in the nexus of that with, the agency and what was so cool was just sitting in the town hall meetings and and showing them the data in 3d and letting the landowner sit there and say 
Okay, like that makes sense. This isn't some vast conspiracy. Um, you know, it's it, this is a science based, mechanistic based approach to, to you know figuring out where where these treatments need to go. And and you know, and I I'm not acting like we we totally solve the problem. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, but I I think that just being able to communicate to that untrained eye with the data was just hugely impactful in that in that situation. No, it's a, it's a big leap because as we know, like a lot of data can be misconstrued or misunderstood in a lot of different ways. So whenever, like you said, the untrained eye gets it, uh, that's a big leap because a lot of people have been working with data for years and, uh, and that's not the case, right? It's, it's, it's a, almost the opposite in some cases. Um, yeah. you've, you found all these interesting use cases. I feel like it started with one and it keeps, it seems like spreading to others, um, do you feel like there's misconceptions that still though exist in the industry or related to the work that you do where you're saying, well, actually, no, it's more like this that you have to clear up from time to time? Yeah, I think I think probably the biggest thing is, you know, companies saying, I think what we're doing is enough, um, you know, and, and, and really not fully understanding what those risks and what those threats are um, until, you know, kind of that retroactive that, that, you know, um, you know, it's, it's like, we're going to, you know, we're going to be reactive to this situation when it happens versus proactive. And, and so there's, there's a, there is a change in sentiment happening, I think, um, you know, because of there's been a lot of events and there's been quantifiable damages. So as the more of those things that happen, um, the more receptiveness, the more, I think, people really understand the message of what we're trying to communicate. Um, but certainly there's still that, that educational process where we want to, you know, take our customers through a journey where, you know, we're helping them understand, you know, what that, that risk and what those threats are and then finding the right tools and solutions that are going to help them solve that problem. Yeah. A lot's changed in this industry. What do you think is on the horizon for both the industry, the technology and Taryn itself? Like, are there things that you're looking ahead to and, You've got strong like convictions on this is where it's going or where it should go. I do, yeah. I think the this this kind of the digital twin is is probably the most uh, you know buzzwordy thing that's that's kicking around the geospatial industry right now, and that's everything from helping you know autonomous vehicles navigate and and know where they are in space and time um, to improving the the navigation on our phones so that if you're in a skyscraper you know you know you know how to get to the building of the office that that you're looking to get to just like we all use Google Maps today um, to navigate essentially anywhere else on the globe. And so that whole 3D digital twin renaissance is here. Uh, I think it kind of hit the trough of disillusionment, you know, it was really hot in 2015. And then <laughs> like most things uh, took a little while to, to get more uptake and now it's getting there, it's getting sticky. And I think what the dimension of that is that, that Terran really provides is that intersection between the built and the unbuilt world. It's that understanding of the environment, which, you know, is a, one of the most complex systems, you know, that you can ever try to wrap your head around everything from atmospheric sciences to microbiology to soils to you know to physics and um you know it's multidisciplinary but being able to kind of bring those things together and model that in real time to improve decision making i think is is i mean it's it's the future of where we're headed and um and so we're we're really excited because that's the space that that we're going to plug into we want to dominate that whole kind of environmental twin uh, part of the market and really be that foundational tool that people can use to develop the applications and solutions that that help solve some of the most contemporary problems um, as it relates to, to, to those kinds of issues.
everyone, we've learned a lot from this podcast series and we've put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. You can grab them at nativedigital.com slash resources. Thank <laughs> you.